Hey everyone, you're listening to The Momentum Project, where Rui Castillo and I, George Berger, discuss strategies to achieve momentum in finance, startups, venture capital, and always contrasting the US with emerging markets and highlighting those differences in order to give you a complete picture of what's going on in the world. If you like discussions on markets, startup ideas, and business trends, you will enjoy the show and hopefully get a ton of value from it. Three, two, one. Hi, everyone. It's nice to see you again here. George, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you, Roy? I'm fine, thank you. Quite excited that the World Cup has started and you can feel it on the streets here in Mexico. Lots of excitement. And today's topic is going to be around the World Cup, George. Of course, it is a highly interesting topic to have right now. And I'd like to focus, George, on the economics of the World Cup, because as a lot of listeners will know, uh, Qatar has spent a huge amount of money, George, uh, hosting this 2022 World Cup. How much of that? So I want to share estimates vary a, a little bit, but The Economist says that it's going to be close to 300 billion, right? So that's a huge amount of money. And other sources point to around 20, 220 billion, 250 billion. But I mean, it's hundreds of billions, hundreds of billions. And it's such a huge amount of money. And what's really interesting is that we're talking in terms of GDP. Qatar is a, a small country, George. So population wise, Qatar Four is million, close to approximately. Three, three million. Yeah, around 2020 estimates were close to 3 million. According to Wikipedia, they're current GDP stands for 2022, George, around 303 billion. So basically this means that they are spending in hosting this World Cup close to their total annual GDP. That's, That's wild, insane. George. Just, yeah. yes, it's, it's, How so that make sense? It, 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 it's difficult to understand why they are spending so much money in this. And, and this reminds me a, a little bit of, you know, the, the Greece Olympics where Greece had to, to incur in a huge amount of debt. And, and that led finally to, to a major financial and fiscal crisis in, in Greece that was like quite a tough time for, for Greece. Now, we know Qatar is a really wealthy country in terms of GDP per capita, right? Because they, they produce huge amounts of money from oil and gas exports. But why does it make sense that they spend such a high amount of, of, of money. So I want to, to mention a few factors here, George. First of all, we need to compare this amount to what other countries have spent previously. So let me share you really quickly a slide where we can see a few interesting statistics for the economics of the World Cup. Here it is. Let's talk a little bit about FIFA. It's going to be better if you explain FIFA. Basically, it, it is like the premier or the most important football private association, right? Correct. It's the, it's the governing body of, of football or let's call it soccer on a, on a global stage. It organizes all the international tournaments, essentially. So you have the, the Champions League in Europe, for example. You have the, the Euro League, the Nations League as well. And then obviously the World Cup. So the FIFA is the, the governing body for all these huge tournaments, regional tournaments, international regional tournaments. Yeah, something interesting like FIFA, a lot of the, the money that FIFA earns or, or produces 
comes from from its partners, right? So currently there are seven FIFA partners that have like you know worldwide like rights with FIFA. So you have Adidas, you have Coca Cola, Wonder Group, Hyundai, which is the owner of Kia Motors, Qatar Airways, Qatar Energy, and and Visa. Something really interesting, George, I didn't know was like the price money in the World Cup. I mean, yeah, these are like really interesting amounts. So winners earn 42, $42 million USD. Okay. The runner-up, $30 million. And you can see third and fourth place around 20, 25 to $27 million. And it goes up to the 32nd place, George, with $9 million price. So. Yeah. Uh, is this is this money is this money that the, the national football federations receive, or or who exactly gets this money? Like I guess it's split yes, between like yes. players and and yeah. and national football federations. Okay, that's right. Yeah. So now I want to focus on this live because this is what shows us how crazy it is that Qatar is spending close to three hundred billion US dollars in in hosting this World Cup. So previous uh, World Cup Russia twenty eighteen. They spent close to 12 billion. Mm -hmm. So this is almost a tenth yeah. of a third of what Qatar is spending, right? So yeah. it's around 3% of what Qatar is spending. Uh, Brazil, 2014, 15 billion. And I remember. That was already George, controversial. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, I it remember that, that Brazil 2014 was very, very controversial. All the all the investments that had to be made in uh, in stadiums, etc., and there was um, a lot of doubt of whether these infrastructure projects actually made sense and if there would be long term yeah. benefit for the the population. You know, like how how important yeah. is it really to have you know five additional football stadiums, etc. Right. So I, I remember Brazil was already very very controversial, and the the argument here for Brazil was that they were hosting the Olympics and the the world cup in sort of a similar cycle so the olympics took place two years after or two years before the world cup i'm i'm not 100 sure what the sequence of events was there but that was kind of like yeah. the the argument that that was actually like a pretty smart thing to do for brazil right to to kind of like bundle these two events and kind of uh, repurpose stadiums and repurpose some of the infrastructure but it, it's definitely questionable whether these type of huge investments actually make sense for these countries. So what's Especially, the rationale here? What's the rationale? Why, why, why is Qatar spending 200 to 300 billion? If, if you make some research and, and I'm quoting different outlets, but we have a mixture of, of things. First of all, Qatar had no infrastructure related to football, right? Yeah. So None. stupid. So <laughs> like yeah. that's the, yeah. like so, um, on, one of the many reasons why, why I, I feel like this, this world cup is like uh, definitely not good for the image of, of soccer in general, but um, okay, yeah. So very, very little existing football infrastructure. So they had to build everything from the, from yes. the ground up. Yes. Uh, what else? So remember that Qatar, and, and you know a lot about international relations and politics. Uh, Qatar is basically, you know, like this Arab kingdom. It always competes with Emirates, the United Arab Emirates, right? So they're kind of always like racing uh, or, or trying to be like the better player in that sense, right? And Qatar has some really interesting like geopolitical issues with Saudi Arabia. Qatar is quite close to Iran. In some sense, what a lot of experts say, George, is that Qatar wants to 
position itself, you know, as similar to what Dubai or Abu Dhabi have been doing in the in the last decades, Qatar wants to use this World Cup as a way to position itself like on the world stage, you know, as a, as a, a really wealthy, powerful, uh, modern Arab state. And what a lot of their politicians or, or leaders say is that this World Cup will help to to add a lot of value to the Qatar or Qatari uh, brand, right? So in some way, they they know, for example, close to half of the world population will watch this World Cup, right? Do you agree it's with the that? It's the biggest sporting event in the world. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So they know that this will bring Qatar to so many TVs around the world. So they yeah. they feel that it's worth trying to bring the Qatar brand up. That's like a Secondly, national national branding, national national branding. Of course, uh, project, yeah, national branding. Yeah. So like and, maybe and, it will also attract some tourism, but probably like the the main point here is like foreign foreign direct investment in the long term, right? Because um, yes. it it will now be part of the let's say a consideration matrix of 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 companies of firms in general. And so from, yeah, think from about that point tourism. of view, it makes sense. So it's maybe they are like hoping for a long term ROI. Right, like they're, they're spending so much, but what it's, they are, it's yeah. essentially to put Qatar on the world map. Because let's be honest, the large majority of Westerners, of Americans, of just the, the general world population, wouldn't even be able to point Qatar, point out Qatar on a map. Right, like not even I am one hundred percent certain of Qatar's position uh, in relationship to uh, <laughs> yes, to like to Dubai, etc. I mean, I know that it's like on the northeastern part of the Saudi Arabian peninsula, but I might even be embarrassing myself right now because I'm not like, even I'm not 100% sure of Qatar's geographic position and I'm really good yep. at geography. So uh, I think it's it kind of like literally uh, it's, it's supposed to put Qatar on the map, right? That's the, that's the yeah. idea. So yeah, their main argument is that all the infrastructure, infrastructure that they are building and all the publicity, all the, all the branding that this will help Qatar develop, it's worth it. Uh, and a lot of, you know, economists and analysts say that, okay, th th this is a, a huge amount of money. What we need to consider here, George, is that there is also a very important political factor, which is these are not democracies. You know, most of the Arab states are kingdoms or they have some sort of dictatorship, right? So we know that Qatar is controlled by, by like a royal family. And it sounds crazy, George, but... It's it's like when you you meet you met some people with a lot of money and you know they want to spend a lot of money in you know a very expensive car or a luxurious house just to kind of show off. So this is this is also a, a way of Qatar and specifically specifically those in power in Qatar to show their wealth to show how prosperous Qatar is. So, yeah, yeah what, what we also know is that the, the politics of ostentation. Yes, yes, that's so interesting here because... Yeah, like it, um, it, it reinforces... So, like, that's, that's actually really, really important because, like, I can, <laughs> I can kind of, like, go into, like, a little bit of a political science lecture. I'm not going to do that. But basically, political legitimacy in non-Western countries has a very, very different, different rationale, right? Like, uh, in, in Western countries... Legitimacy stems from democratic victories and then also sort of the performance, which then, you know, leads to more democratic, uh, let's say, success for a political party. And that's where political regimes generate their legitimacy. 
that's the rationale, right? It's uh, that's the rationale that that uh, reinforces political legitimacy in, in Western countries. Essentially, democracy, and then also generating results. So there, there's um, there's a lot of different ways on on how democracy can manifest itself. One one way to to think about democracy is just by the electoral rules and sort of deciding who gets to govern. But then there's also, that's kind of the input of democracy. You could say, you know, the input is the elections, but then there's also democratic output, which is that the particular public policies actually help the country, help the people. So the, like the elections and all the rules that make up democracy are the democratic input, but then the democratic output are the policies that lead to prosperity, to social security, to stability, et cetera, right? So that's the democratic output yep. that generates legitimacy for political regimes. And that's the logic that we have in Western nations. But outside of Western nations, like in, let's say, in African, in African countries, but also in, in Middle Eastern countries, legitimacy stems from a lot of different things, but not necessarily from, from electoral rules and also not necessarily from output, but it has more to do with, with ostentation. So, and, and with like a representation of power. So those type of things play a much more important role in order to generate legitimacy for the regime. So that's why you have a lot of like African leaders are very ostentatious, you know, that just um, have over the top luxurious kind of uh, presentation of their persona, et cetera, because, and, and, and you see the same thing in, in the Middle East. So. It's basically that the 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 wealth of the political leader and and the, the wealth of the the political regime and everyone associated with the political regime and the ostentatious image of that regime actually is what generates legitimacy. So that's kind of the the explanation. That's so interesting, and yeah, it, 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 there is lots of evidence that this is related to that. Uh, something really interesting, George. So just just to like wind up here and and. Understanding. So, of course, Qatar is gambling with the World Cup to develop different sorts of infrastructure. You know, Qatar is basically a, a, an oil-producing country, a gas-producing country. So, they want to some somehow diversify from that. So, of course, they they mm -hmm. they believe that in the long term, this will help Qatar to develop its its you know country image, its country brand, attract tourism, and and compete a lot more with other uh, like more touristy or more well-known countries in the region, uh, United Arab Emirates, it's uh, Dubai, Abu Dhabi. Those are uh, good examples. Um, something just to close this topic, George, Qatar had some, you know, political tensions with some other Arab countries in the last few years. For example, Egypt, uh, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, um, they, they were, were they invaded or they were at war with Saudi Arabia in the early 1990s, correct? So I'm not that's mistaken. correct. And, yeah. and something that happened a couple of years ago is that all, some of these countries yeah. closed their borders with, with Qatar, like Saudi Arabia, for example, says that like, they are really angry with, with, with Qatar's relation with Iran, um, which is, you know, like a strong enemy of Saudi Arabia. But something interesting happened a few months ago, like all these, um, this sort of Arab league against Qatar decided to, to reopen borders, of course, because they want to benefit. They know that this uh, World Cup will bring a lot of attention to the region. And I mean, you just need to, 
to to watch your Instagram and and you will see that some of your friends or people that you know that are currently uh, in the World Cup they none of stay... my friends. <laughs> well, uh, we, we have people some that friends you know, in common maybe, that yeah. yeah yeah we have some friends in common that um, that are right there and 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 something is interesting is that. I don't use they, Instagram. They are not staying just in Doha, for example. They stay in 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 Dubai, Abu Dhabi, because you know it's it's if you are if you're traveling such a long distance, let's say from any Western country. Well, it makes sense to to visit around, right? So that's really interesting. Um, but yeah, so basically, we will see in the the years to come if this was a good investment for Qatar or just a, a crazy. Uh, white elephant sort of investment, you know, um, yeah. just imagine Mexico spending a full year of its GDP hosting a world cup. So that will yeah. mean like spending 1 trillion, trillion us dollars hosting a world cup. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it's such a huge amount of money. And of course, because this is, you know, not, not a democratic regime. And something that we know is that, uh, like, locals uh people from qatar or the local population has really high standards of living these these sort of um problems that we saw uh with brazil where you have huge amounts of huge levels of pro of poverty well um the, you know the, the criticisms are not going that way because yeah in, in in all senses qatar is a very wealthy country with a very wealthy local population But but then but then you obviously have the 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 problem of of immigrants in in Qatar who make up a lot of the the labor force etc. Right. So like uh, ultimately we can we can discuss whether that is actually going to to pay off. I personally don't think that Qatar is doing doing like a great job at improving its its image. I think you've probably also heard about this story of like the the Mexican guy who smuggled in a tequila, uh, tequila bottle and like shared it on TikTok. And uh, is, um, has already been like arrested by a Qatari police and is going to receive like 30 lashes in a public square. Have you heard of that? Yes, yes. I think that that's fake news. I think those th those guys were making a joke, <laughs> but uh, I I'm not sure to be honest. Are you sure? I think it's I, I think it's true about so the 30 think... lashes. But like the lashes are like um, not like real lashes. It's more from what I understand. It's more like a symbolic lash. And it's more like about public humiliation. So wow. I don't think that That's they will crazy. actually be like put into like, I don't think that any severe injuries will be incurred doing this like uh, lashing. It's more like a symbolic mm -hmm. lashing from what I understand. But basically these type of scandals and, and it's happened, uh, there, there are now several reports, right? Of like people getting arrested for wearing uh, LGBTQ bands or t-shirts and stuff like that so obviously i think that this whole project for for qatar is going to backfire i don't think anyone is going to think yeah. about oh qatar is such a modern nation no there are like real big uh, cultural differences and, and and differences in values as well and like i think that that's perfectly fine like it's just it is a different part of the world they have a different history there's different religion plays like a, a different role in society and that's just how it is You know, and like, I think that Westerners are just going to see that. And, and I don't think anyone is going to say, oh, wow, I'm going to go to Qatar for a holiday because the culture there seems so amazing and the people there are so friendly. Like, that's not the, the impression that people are going to get from this World Cup. Yeah. Like, definitely not. Yeah. 
like I don't think it's it's going to 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 have any positive result in, in in that sense, and I don't even think it's going to particularly improve the image of of the country. And mm-hmm. the, the the one thing I do buy into in, into the argument of it being a geopolitical hedge, you know, like basically saying like, hey, you know, now Qatar we've hosted the World Cup, like you can't allow Saudi Arabia to invade us or something like that because hey, like we hosted all of you, <laughs> you know, for for mm-hmm. World Cup. I think that that's like a just having that like that favor. You know, like it's it's kind of like uh, geopolitically, they can now say like you owe us one, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, for for, for yeah. hosting the World Cup. I think that that that's an argument that I definitely buy into, and and sometimes it's also difficult. Like sometimes it's really really important to understand the psychology of these really really small countries in these regions that mm-hmm. have you know much more powerful countries that that are surrounded by much more powerful countries. Right, Qatar is yeah. a tiny country surrounded by uh, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia. You know, the, 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 the geopolitical risk there is real. And I think that yeah. this World Cup is more of a geopolitical hedge. Like, it's just like, um, you know, like kind of like a, a, a geopolitical backup. Yeah, and, very and, that's an, and, and that's an argument I definitely buy into. But overall, I think that most football fans actually agree. And actually, most players also agree that this World Cup is uh, stupid. Like, <laughs> like um, basically, everyone knows that it was there are clear signs of corruption in how the World Cup was awarded. There were several uh, Europeans that were bribed. There were several Africans that were bribed because it's the, the different football federations have to vote for, for the host mm-hmm. nation, right? So there, 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 were, there were clear signs of, of corruption. So the image of FIFA is, is greatly damaged. And then also the, the, a lot of players aren't particularly happy. I don't know if you, you heard about the, the German team. Uh, they were teaming up with five or six other uh, countries that had planned to wear the One Love band that they had already worn in other games. I don't know if you've heard about this, but basically... No, I haven't. So, so, so basically, the FIFA basically told them that they're not allowed to wear that band. So that's political censorship. So that's another own goal, you know, like for, for Qatar and, and FIFA. You know, like they've basically said, hey, you're not allowed to wear this. And if you wear this, uh, you might be awarded... That, that, that there will be some t- kind of uh, punishment. And they didn't actually say like some kind of sanction. And they didn't even say what type of sanction it would be. They said it could be a, a yellow card, but it could also be like a, a reduction in points during the group stage. You know, and that basically puts mm. like the athletic achievement of the entire team, of, of an entire team into, into question. And the, here you could say, well, why do you care as a, as, a, as a football player? Might as well get a yellow card. Might as well get point reduction in the group stage. Really, as a football player, you only have three chances to win the World Cup. And the probability mm-hmm. of winning a World Cup is really, really low. Like for any country, like even for the top countries, for Argentina, Brazil, etc., it's below, it's below 15% probability for like the top mm-hmm. nations to, to win a World Cup. Like... It's so difficult to, to, to win a World Cup, right? So if you only have three chances, realistically speaking, as, as, a, as a football player to win the World Cup, to participate and win the World Cup, you're not going to... And it, it, is, it is the biggest tournament in the world. It's the biggest prize you can win. In, in, I would say almost in, in, in athletics in general, there's nothing more important than the World Cup. So I can kind of understand why players didn't want to take this risk and why none of the, the players are now wearing this like one, one loft band. Yeah. Uh, the German team actually did a gesture of like covering their mouth like this during, uh, during the team picture. 
like kind of like saying, oh, like they're like censoring us. So that was yeah. like kind of like the political statement of the of the the German national team who lost shamefully against Japan, which was super <laughs> super super annoying. I was watching that game yesterday, and I was just like, uh, I was just fuming. Like Germany was so dominant for the, for seventy minutes, and in the last twenty minutes, Japan just played better and scored two goals, and uh, that was awful. But um, Anyways, and, and then also all the, all the other scandals that are surrounding this World Cup make it so obvious that it's just, that was a really, really poor decision, right? Like all these, all these workers at the construction sites that have died, there's this one number that says 6,500 immigrant workers have died over the last yeah, four crazy. years in, on construction sites. Obviously, that's not just construction sites for for the World Cup, but just in general. But there's a very, very large amount of, of, of people that have died. And basically, it's because of the temperatures in, in mm -hmm. Qatar, right? Like, uh, basically, what happens there is that they, they're, they're just out in, in, in the elements. Uh, and the, the, it, they basically, they die of, um, of dehydration and of, like, high temperature, basically. So it's, yeah. it's And that wild. leads us to oh, the other yeah. point, which makes this World Cup extremely stupid, is that it's in the middle of the desert. So it's in the middle of the desert. It's a really, really taxing climate for athletes. It's, um, so that's the other reason why a lot of players are actually against this World Cup. And, uh, and that also leads us to the other point, which is that the World Cup has to take place in the winter months rather than in the summer mm -hmm. months. And this means that there's less preparation time for teams mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they literally have to cut short the, seat, like the first part of the national football season they have mm -hmm. one week or maybe less than, than two weeks of preparation for this tournament. And they also don't have rest. So a lot of the players are basically like finishing the, the National League games and going straight into the World Cup. So it's like uh, all around poor, poor decision making by, by FIFA. And it's uh, ultimately, it's, I think, bad for, for football in general. Um, but um, I still remain really, really um, optimistic for, for the future of, of the sport. And, and I wanted to um to talk about the the next world cup which will be hosted by the u.s canada and mexico is that correct that's right yeah, yeah. north america so, yeah so that's obviously super super exciting for us uh we are based here in, in mexico so i think i'll even go to to the u.s or fly and fly to canada to, to watch definitely games yeah. like I'm, I'm definitely going to go to this this yeah, world me too. cup yeah it's, it's going to be awesome and um and I, I actually think it's, it's an amazing opportunity for, for soccer in the U.S. to become really, really popular. And I don't know, like, I was, I was, I was thinking about this. And um, so to, to me, it's really, there's this puzzle, right, to understand why, why football or soccer is so popular all over the world. Like, it's the most popular sport in any other country except for the U.S. And... I was kind of like trying to trying to think a little bit about this. And first I want to ask you, what do you think are some of the the reasons why soccer is not so popular in the US? It, it, it is a great question, but probably it has to do with um, how well organized other sports and their leagues are. So I, I think that that explains a lot about, you know, the, the US has huge amounts of resources and and their like the the business models in in their uh sports industry 
so well developed. So I, I think it's related to, you know, huge country, large populations, really diverse, these different leagues like the, the NFL or whatever, right? Uh, NBA. All, all, mm -hmm. the, the NBA, these different or, uh, like sports organizations are so wealthy, so well organized. They have such strong business models. So I think that that explains a lot how well they incorporated those different sports like basketball, yeah. American football, uh, baseball to their the American culture. So yeah. and, and and just one last thing, I think these different sports in the U.S. have been very successful to kind of you know inter intertwine or like mix like the, the sense of American culture or American identity with those sports yeah, uh, and, and different sectors in, you know, in the population. So I think that's also something brilliant that they have done. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, I think that that's hits the nail on, on the head. Like basically I think that NBA, that basketball, American football, baseball is part of American culture and part of American identity. And football or, or soccer is, 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 is not as much part of their, their identity, their culture. And also, I think the, the, the other point you mentioned is that there's competition against the other leagues, right? There's like a limited amount of people that go to sports events. They have to decide what to watch, where to, what to visit, etc. So I think that there's obviously competition between, between different sports leagues that l makes it difficult for, for a new league to, to emerge, right? It's like, or, yeah. or for, for a new sport to emerge and make it like commercially feasible. So I think that that's yeah, definitely highly competitive market. Yeah. It's a very, very competitive market at the same time. So we have to think about the fact that the U S has a population of 350 million people. Is it 350 yes. million? I think it's 350 yeah. million, right? Yeah. So like, Around it that is number. like it's huge. Th that, that type of, that type of population can technically support different sports leagues. Like there's enough people. And I think that that's like a very, very like favorable thing that the U S has. I mean, even if just, let's say a, a third or a fourth of Americans become football fans, they would be like, it would be the equivalent of like a, a European country like Spain or France. Right. Yeah. So like it may be even larger. Right. So I, I think that, yeah, if it, if it would be, if it would be a fourth, it would be larger. It'd be the size of Germany almost. Right. If like a fourth of Americans start becoming like fanatic football fans, you would have the equivalent of uh, market size of Germany. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. that there's definitely an opportunity there. I do think that this um, part of, of American culture is super, super important. Like, I think that there's like a certain, like not U.S. centricity. I also don't want to say like ethnocentricity, but there's kind of like, um, Americans are like the best at their sports. Like they're the best and like they're the best basketball team. Uh, yes. I think, I think they play like, I think that there's a, a baseball game that is played between like the best U S team and the best Japanese team. Like there's basically only two countries that have like, ba that play baseball. Yeah. There's um, some, Latin American countries ah, yeah, that okay, have some good yeah, baseball but like, teams, but, but, but the U.S. rules in that. Yeah. You so know, basically the U.S., US I, I think I think it does have a little bit to do with like U.S. I don't know if super, superiority complex is like the, the, um, the best word here and kind of sounds a little bit insulting, but Americans, maybe it has more to do with like American exceptionalism. That's a more mm -hmm. positive way to frame it. Americans yep. uh, basically expect to be the best at everything they do in the world.
So that's basically like part of um, American psyche. Like it's just the psychographic makeup of the American people is that we are the best at everything we do. So they're the best at basketball. They're the best at football, at American football, because they're basically the only ones who play it. They're also the best at baseball because they're technically the only ones who play it. But with, with soccer, it's obviously very, very different and it's much more competitive, right? Because guess what? No one cares about American football. No one really, I mean, no one, and putting my air, air, air quotes here, like no one really cares about baseball. So the rest of the world cares about football. So it's much more competitive. And I think that that can be a problem for the American psyche. Like we actually yeah. have to, they, they actually have to compete here and they're not going to win. It's like almost impossible to win every time. So I think that's just something that Americans will have to get used to. And, and but maybe that's like a, a difficult thing to, to, to get used to. If, if you're used to just winning everything else that you participate in, if you're like the best American football team, like the best at playing football, you're the best at playing basketball, etc. So then like really throwing yourself and dedicating yourself to a sport where you're not going to be the best is, is maybe like a little bit difficult from, from a, from a cultural point of view. And it's so difficult to actually be the best at football, right? Like almost no team has ever managed to defend a world cup. I think Brazil managed it once Uruguay managed it once like 70 years ago, but in, in the history, in the, the 70 year or 80 year history of the world cup, the World Cup has only been defended twice. So it's very, very difficult to, to, to be the best in the world at, yes. at football because the football also has like a, an element of randomness to it. So it's very, very difficult. I think the other, the other point is scoring. It seems like American sports prefer like high scoring games. Essentially, like I think yeah. that, you know, like the NBA has like a lot of points, like every other sport, like the NFL teams score approximately, I read on average, like 7.8 times, like 7.8 scoring events, right? So um, baseball has like a lot of home runs as well. So I think scoring also matters. On average, a football game has like 1.9 goals. So it's like a lot That's less so scoring. That's so interesting. What, what do you think about complexity? Like, you know... That's like another element, game right? Complex. Like there's like a yeah. lot of rules in American games and there's like a high level of complexity and foot soccer is, is the beautiful game because of its simplicity. Yes. Right? The, the I simplicity agree. Totally makes, agree. makes football or makes soccer so, so beautiful, right? It's just yeah. like two teams, a ball, go and score a goal using your feet. <laughs> yeah. Even kind a three-year-old, a four-year-old can quickly understand What's the game about, right? Exactly. You just need to score. You know, <laughs> it's it, it's it's so simple, and 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 I and I think I think that explains a lot of why it's so loved around the world. You know, because it's it's exactly. and it's not it's an a expensive beautiful game. It's a beautiful game, and it, you know, like these barriers to to enter, right? Mm -hmm. Barriers to enter. So low. Mm -hmm. You just like yeah. think about really poor countries that you know they they. I remember once here in Mexico, like traveling around this very small, poor town. And, and I remember watching these 80 year olds playing with like a very old, you know, damaged uh, football. Like you don't need a lot of money. You, you just need like some space <laughs> and you can use some rocks to, to yeah, you can make your... a makeshift goal. You can just put like yes. uh, one, one yeah. sweater and, a, and, and another sweater and then you have a goal. Yeah. Like you can just I, I remember doing that with, yeah, that, 
Th- that's something park, we, we, we that's how we child, played football. Or, children. Yeah, that's that's how yeah. we played football as children. Exactly. Like you don't yeah. necessarily need a goal with a net. So there's yeah. like a, it's it's very very easy to just spin up like a soccer game. One of the other reasons why I think that the soccer has like some challenges in the U.S. market is that it's not as conducive to advertisement because there's not a lot of breaks. Interesting. Like okay. um, if you compare like an NBA game, there's like I think. 10 or 12 opportunities for breaks. You know, you have breaks between the quarters, you have the halftime break, et cetera. So there's a lot of other breaks that where you can show advertisement. Um, mm-hmm. One statistic that blew my mind was that in in American football, in, in, in an NFL game, you have seven minutes of playtime, of like actually seeing football, and then eight minutes of commercials. So mm-hmm. if you're watching like, I don't know, an NFL game that takes three hours, half of the time you'll be watching commercials. So it's, it's, it's actually insane. And obviously that's like a little bit difficult for, for soccer. So there's less interest for, from TV networks. Yeah. However, I think you know, the, the, the NFL is in, in decline, right? The viewership is, is going down and it's been in decline for several years now for a lot of variety of like different reasons. I don't want to get into all of them, but I think this decline of the NFL also opens up a huge opportunity for, for Major League Soccer, which is the, the, US, the US League. And I don't want to go into like the history of, of why, there's like a complex history of, of why the US kind of fell back in, in, in soccer, etc. I kind of want mm-hmm. to jump into soccer right now in the US. So I watched the, the US team play uh, against Wales the other day. Fantastic football, very, very, very good. Like the US, has, the, the US men's team has been relatively good now for the last few tournaments. And right now they have the second youngest team. So I think that there's like actually wow. like a really, really bright future for the for, for US soccer, especially now leading up to 2026. You know, wow. these players are getting their first experience. They're going to mature for the next four years. They're going to be in their prime physically yeah. and in terms of yeah. experience. So I think that the US has a good shot at 2026 to make the World Cup really, really popular in the US. Yeah. I think it's basically going to like move soccer forward in the US dramatically. I think that that there's like such immense opportunities. Uh, Another big factor here is the the big Latino population, which culturally Mm -hmm. is more interested in in soccer than in basketball. Um, So I think that that's just going to have a huge impact. So so that's going to make soccer the one of the more more viewed, more followed sports in the US in, in the next five to 10 years. And then you also have all these like, um, you know, big international players. This has been a trend now for, for some years that go to the U.S. You have German players. You have, you know, mm-hmm. Beckham was obviously one of the first big ones to go to LA uh, Galaxy. But you also have mm-hmm. Ibrahimovic. You have uh, really, really the, the best Swiss player. And Switzerland actually has a really, really strong team. Shakiri is now playing in, in the U.S. as well. There's still some, some challenges for soccer in terms of structure. And it's, 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 a, it's a young league, right? So... For example, they have a team salary cap of five million. So you are not allowed. And, and there's three players that can be exempted from this rule. They call it the Beckham rule, which basically they they allow a, a team to spend more money on like three superstars essentially, mm, so that they can like maybe like also import some players from Europe, import some players from 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 Argentina, from Mexico, from Brazil. So they have three players that they that can be exempted from this rule. But this means that the 5 million salary cap essentially means that on average, the 
players in a U.S. soccer team earn approximately two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars per year for being a professional athlete. If you compare that, for example, to the Bundesliga and the Bundesliga, the average salary is one point six million. Mm. So it's you know quite quite a bit quite a bit larger. They're planning yes. to increase the salary cap to thirteen million over the next five to seven years. So I think that's a positive move, but. Just to take a guess of what the salary cap is for NBA teams. So the, the, the um, soccer cap is $5 million. Do you know what the salary cap is for NBA teams? Uh, it's going to be a wild guess, but let's say $50 million? It's $125 million? It's $130 wow. million. That's ridiculous. So like in the, in the, US, in the <laughs> US, the top players earn $40 million, and the median NBA salary is $4 million. So this is obviously also very, very problematic and, and talking about like competition between leagues. If you're really, really skilled, if you're a very skilled athlete and let's say like you're six foot two, like one, one meter, 85 centimeters, you're good at basketball and you're good at football. And let's say like you're like a really, really gifted athlete who, who can become a professional athlete and you could become a professional athlete in basketball or in soccer, you're going to choose basketball, right? And, and like yes. with these, with these like, with professional athletes, honestly, all of them are good at multiple sports. Like, um, yeah. there's like uh, there's video footage of LeBron James playing American football, and he's really, really good, obviously. And obviously, he 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 became an NBA player because the NBA has the highest salaries. There's also I don't know if you know the basketball player Allen Iverson. I have heard about him. Yeah, he's like he's 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 about my height, so he's like 185, pretty short for a basketball player, but my my opinion, mm-hmm. one of the best basketball players who ever played the game, super quick, and he was also an American uh, football player. So there's also like a lot of uh, footage of him, and he could have also become uh, like a quarterback uh, for for American football, if I'm not not mistaken. And he also chose the NBA because you know that's where 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 the money is. So like I think yes. that that mm-hmm. that one thing that needs to change in American football is that they need to increase the the salary cap cap really really quickly. Right, because if you are a top athlete and you could become a soccer player or a basketball player, you're going to choose. Mm-hmm. You're you're going to choose. Um, you're going to choose the sport yeah. that pays you more, essentially. Right, and we, th- 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 there's one there's one German player, uh, Musiala. He's 19 years old, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I saw video footage of him playing basketball, and he's a really amazing basketball player as well. But he now plays for Bayern Munich, and he plays in the German national team. So you know, like mm-hmm. it, it, it shows that it basically this hypothesis of you know athletes are going to choose like the the best economic outcome. Like in the end, they you know homo economicus. They're going to make do whatever like is is economically yes. right for them. They're going to take an economically rational decision. So and and Musiala is this this German player who's really really good basketball player. I saw footage of him. He like scores like several three pointers in a row, and like just mm-hmm. the form that he had was really really good. So he's like. I, I, I'm sure that he, he could probably be a professional basketball, basketball player as well. And he's right now, I think, actually the most talented player in the German national team. He's only 19 years old, but he's wow. so talented. And he's, he plays for, for, the best German, for, the, for the best German team uh, of the Bundesliga, which is, which is Bayern Munich. So, you know, like this hypothesis is that athletes will choose wherever they earn more money is, is absolutely true. So I think that, that that's going to be one important thing that, that um, Major League Soccer is going to have to, to improve. And there are a few things 
there there are a few other things that I would that I would do if I would be the the sort of the the leadership of of the of Major League Soccer. I would first of all create a second a second tier league, like a second league, because right now there's no second league and there's no threat of relegation. So if you're at the bottom of the table, nothing happens. And that takes mm-hmm. a lot of uh, like a, a lot of the passion away from the game. Like every game should mm-hmm. be important. And if you mm-hmm. know if you are already losing and you're kind of not if you don't have title chances and you're kind of at the bottom, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. But if there's like a second league and if there's like a ch- a, a chance or like a, a a risk of relegation of like losing the major league soccer and like yeah, ha- having it like having yeah. to go down to the you, second, you league. have something to lose. Exactly, and I think that that increases the passion of uh, for for the game and makes every game much more important. So that's something I would do, and then in the long run, I would also try to to create or or to participate in the European Champions League. In my opinion, like I think that mm-hmm. uh, that's one way for U.S. teams to get on the world stage, and the, the the European Champions League is such a big event. I mean, here in Mexico, people watch. Real Madrid play the Champions League. They watch Barca play the Champions League. They watch Bayern Munich play the Champions League. They watch Manchester mm-hmm. United play the Champions League. You know, those are the games that are also shown here on TV. Uh, they're shown on TV mm-hmm. and on globally, and everyone watches them. Mm-hmm. So the the Champions League is the most important league in the world. And I would just try to get like four American teams to 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 participate in in the Champions League. Yeah. I think that that's what that would be kind of one way to like associate yourself with with the elite. And kind of you know get that brand recognition and start going onto onto global global stage and uh, and that's that's kind of maybe like a long term plan that I would pursue and in general soccer is, is is soccer franchises are actually very very lucrative so I pulled up these numbers and and I was just looking at at revenue numbers not not at profit or in anything like that just uh, comparing pure pure revenue numbers. And I think that's important, right? Because like in the end, Americans uh, are also very business focused. Um, and, and if they see a business opportunity here, they're going to, they're going to dig into this. And the Warriors are the most lucrative uh, NBA franchise in, in the US. They have a revenue of approximately 700 million in, in 2022. Guess what is the revenue of Let's say Barcelona for the year 2022. Let's say around 400 million euros. One billion. One billion euros. Yeah. Wow. So, 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 and I'm making a. Oof. I'm actually comparing apples with apples here, right? Because Barcelona is like the biggest team. Like I think uh, on a, on a global stage, probably has the highest brand recognition. Well, you know, you could say Manchester United is also up there. Real Madrid mm-hmm. is also up there, mm-hmm. etc. But so the Warriors have 700 million and, and Barcelona has a billion dollars in revenue this year. True. Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich, which is, to be fair, an extremely well-managed franchise, is generating 720 million in the Bundesliga. Wow. You know, so like wow. the, the yeah. biggest German football team, by far the biggest German football team, is more lucrative, is, is generating more revenue than the biggest NBA franchise. In a smaller country, you know. So, like, like, think a little bit about this. Like, soccer yeah, can potential be, is really high. Yeah, soccer can be very, very lucrative because the stadiums are larger. 
and you can fit way more people into that. You can sell more tickets. There's less games. So there's huge potential. Uh, yeah. It can be you have a worldwide market so. and, and you have a worldwide market. Correct. You can actually have a global, global fandom as well. And the potential for global fandom is much bigger for, for a soccer team than for a basketball team. So I think that, that the, the, all these different factors point into a very, very positive direction. And I think if, if I'd have to make a bet, if I'd be a young person and I would like look, look for like a, maybe a career uh, that know, combines some element with, with sports, I would join, I would join a, a, a U.S. soccer team right now. Like I would join a U.S. soccer team. I'll, I'll make it more specific. I'll join a U.S. soccer team in a state that has already a high Latino population and where the Latino population is going to continue to, to grow. I think that that's like a, an interesting career opportunity. And, and if, if I would be, if I'd have the money <laughs> to, to buy a team or to, to invest in a team, I'd, I'd buy a soccer team. I think that the potential there is, is, is way larger than, than most NBA franchises. And, you know, you, you'd make a, it's kind of a decade long bet, but considering that the world cup, uh, 2026 is, is, is going to be in the U S I think that they're like a growing Latino population, a general growing, growing popularity as well in general of, yes. of soccer in the U S very, very positive signals. So that's what I would do. I'd, I'd, I'd try to join a soccer team right now. Awesome. And that's my riff. That's my riff. Positive. Yeah. Pos I, I have generally very positive outlook for, for soccer. Yeah, I, I agree. So who do you think is going to win the world Cup? Win the world cup? Oh my God. So <laughs> I, I, I think we can do another talk about this, but I, I will do a quick preview. Uh, but basically I was, um, I was doing like some mathematical modeling and looking at, oh my God, there's this, there's this one thing called, um, XG. It, it stands for extremely good. It kind of, um, is often used in like sports to do statistical analysis of outcomes of games where you, where you basically pair up the amount of goals a team normally scores. And you can like use that to pr like statistically predict the outcome of a game. However, because of like the regional weighing of these games, you have some teams that score way more goals than they should. Like Japan, for example, has a very, very XG because they regularly win in Asia against like smaller countries. Like they win like 10-0 against Mongolia or like 10-0 against Laos, you know? So uh, Japan has like a really, really high XG because they have like some of these games. Uh, but then you can weigh it with um, with the ELO ranking of teams. Do you know what the what ELO ranking is? No, no, I don't. So ELO ranking is the same uh, ranking system that is used for ranking chess players, uh, and also like it's also used in a lot of esports. It's, for example, used in Age of Empires. So you have like an ELO ranking, and basically um, you gain points if you beat. You, you gain a lot of points. Let's say you're like a medium player. Let's say you're a player that has an ELO ranking of 1500 and you beat an, mm -hmm. um, uh, if you beat a, a player has an ELO rank ranking of 1600, so way higher ELO ranking, you will gain a lot of points and they will lose a lot of points. So the ELO ranking okay. basically takes like, uh, gives you points for every game and, or you can lose points in every game. And if, if you beat an opponent who has like a similar ELO ranking, you'll get maybe like five additional points. 
if you beat an elo um, an opponent with an, a low elo ranking a lower elo ranking than yourself you might only get like one or two points or you might even get zero points if their if their elo ranking is way lower and um and the same is true for when you lose so if you lose against someone who has a very high elo ranking compared to yours you'll just get like a small point reduction and they'll gain a few points so it's basically like a very very smart system to start ranking countries the elo ranking i can i can pull this up let me let me quickly tell you so kind of the the, the top elo ranking that you can get is a, a, it's approximately 2000 so like the best world best world chess player in the world has around 2000 elo ranking the best age of empires player in the world has around 2000 so that's kind of like the the highest uh, yeah. ranking you can have brazil right now has an elo ranking of 2169 argentina has an elo ranking of 2086 spain has an elo ranking of 2068 then it's netherlands france belgium portugal italy england denmark uruguay germany so according to the elo ranking you would have to say that brazil is the is the top favorite favorite but argentina also just lost 15 points because they lost against saudi arabia so that's like a big upset Right, so like um, that's wild. Like if if you if you're a really high ranked Elo player and you lose against someone who has a super low Elo ranking, you directly lose a lot of points, right? So there might be some distortion here, but according to to this Elo ranking, Brazil is going. Brazil is the best team right now because the the interesting thing about Elo ranking is that it's updated with every game, so it's also a yeah. trend. Like you can have a yeah. clear clear trend. Of, of how things are going and mm, it really also it also takes into account the quality or the difficulty of your games so you know argentina's maybe won 35 games but probably over the last 35 games they played a lot of weak countries you know so yeah. the, and brazil probably in the their near past had a lot of difficult games which is why their elo ranking is, is slightly higher so high yeah mm. so basically it's going to be it's statistically it's going to be uh, Brazil or, or Argentina. I already did some some calculations, and I think both of them have like a very very similar probability outcome. Brazil has a probability outcome of fifteen percent, and Argentina has a probability outcome of fourteen percent. Huh. So despite really the tough. fact that they're like the favorites, you know, it's like pretty low probability. But between those, it's like thirty percent probability. And you, you can actually so there's this one one interesting thing you can use xg which is you know the probability of how many points are get, getting scored and you can combine with the elo ranking and then you can look at every game and there's like a, a actually a very even distribution line between weighing the xg with the elo ranking and it's basically an an a 500 point and this is like a perfectly like uh, almost like a really really clear distribution like you have all these dots on the graph and they, they form a clear like a line, like and it's it's um it's not like an exponential or anything. So that you can have a clear trend. And statistically, if you have 500 points difference, you have an xg difference of 1.8. So you can kind of with using that, you can predict the individual games, and you can like map it out, and and you can see who's who's going to advance in the groups, etc. So if we for example, take, let's say Netherlands has an ELO ranking of 2050. If we compare them to a country that has an ELO ranking of, let's say, 1,500, like Ghana, you would, you would expect uh, the Netherlands to win 2-0 against Ghana. Wow. Like two, wow. like, and so it makes, it's, uh, it makes a lot of sense, essentially, like the, yeah. this, this distribution. If we 
just uh, take an, another example. So you have, for example, Denmark is at 1,900. And if we compare them to a ranking that's, let's say, 250 lower, you would be playing against a country like Sweden. And there it would be a, one, a 0.9 XG difference. So Denmark, according to this model, would, would win, statistically speaking, 1-0 against Sweden, which makes sense. You know, so you can use okay. that. It's like a pretty, it's a pretty good, good uh, statistical model. So my guess is... So Brazil and Argentina. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be, statistically speaking, Brazil has like a slight, um, slight higher chance, uh, but then it's, it's soccer. <laughs> there's so yeah, many yeah. different, you know, there's so many different, uh, so many different elements. There's like variables. randomness. I think it's... I only hope that, you know, Europeans have dominated the last three or four World Cups. So mm -hmm. I hope that we see, yeah. I mean, it will be great to see someone from Asia, but at least from... South America, I, I like that. So Yeah, for sure. And Brazil is, I think, well, Argentina would deserve it. It would be great for Messi. It would also be great for, for Neymar and Brazil after their, like, trauma of 2014, <laughs> you know, so yes. where, where they lost 7-1 against Germany. So, um, yeah, any any of those countries have, have, have high probability. I think, actually, uh, surprisingly, one other factor also is the seeding. So, you know, the strength of your group and who you're most likely going to play in the next stage, etc. And England actually has the one of the easiest seeding according to okay. this particular model uh, that I mm -hmm. looked at because what's England's ELO ranking? Let's see. Uh, I can't find them on the list right here. Uh, they're ninth. So they're ninth, but they have like a kind of like a 50% probability to get into, into the, or like a, uh, I think it was like a 34% probability to get all the way to the semifinals, which is very, very oh. high for like a ninth. Yes. Right? Like it's, it's, it's statistically speaking, slightly higher. So there the seeding plays a, plays yeah. an important role as well, but it um, will definitely yeah. help them with your economy. Yeah. George, for sure. I think we need to wind up. Yeah. Um, really? It was a pleasure talking to you. Bye, yeah, everyone. It was a pleasure. See you in in two weeks. I'm not going to be here next Thursday. Okay, no problem. We are having some holidays, but see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, bye. Bye.